right, good morning. Welcome back. Uh, you know, we talk about success criteria and outcomes all the time, and one of my favorite outcomes is retention rate through the breaks at any kind of event. It looks like we're doing pretty good uh, today. Listen, I, what I want to talk about in the 15 minutes that I have with you this morning is um, taking the ideas of Lean Startup, um, of lean thinking and applying them in larger and larger contexts and larger uh, enterprises. And there's a framework that I want to talk about as we go through this, um, really thinking about it in the, con in the context of a project, a program, and portfolio. And what I hope to go through is uh, a couple of ideas for you to think through about how to scale some of these ideas behind lean startup in large companies and give you a couple of tactics to take back to work when you, whenever you uh, head back to, to wherever it is you're from and wherever it is that you work. And so to get started, I want to share with you the dirty secret of lean startup. You guys ready? Here it is. Right. No one wants to buy experiments. Right. No one wants to buy a test or a validation. People want to buy apps. They want to buy systems. They want to buy solutions. But those solutions uh, and those systems and those apps are risky. And we know this because we've built them and they've failed and we've tried again. And we know that the concepts behind Lean Startup reduce risk, right? The way that those, those experiments and those validation efforts, they reduce risk with small uh, iterative efforts that drive learning and they drive investment decisions. Now, in larger companies, the, you know, agile is the flavor of the day. And when you combine lean and agile together, there's a really nice cadence, lean startup particularly, and agile together, there's a really nice cadence of continuous learning that you can build into your organizations, right? You've got this sense of when we're shipping and when we're retrospecting and when we're learning and when we can make decisions about how to adjust course. And at the core of this continuous learning is this mentality of experimentation. So maybe not the experiment itself, but there is this mentality of experimentation and perhaps even more importantly is this mentality of humility. We work in software and software is inherently complex and unpredictable. Because software is complex and unpredictable, and because software these days is continuous, you can't predict the end state of that software because there is no end state. We don't know how it's going to end. And so we have to take this humble mindset that says we only know, we only can, can see this far into the future, and we're going to take steps to de-risk whatever those next steps should be. Now look, if you work in a startup, and if you work at this particular startup, I want to know because that's where I want to work. Um, in that conference room forever. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but if you work in a startup, look, it's experiment or die, right? You know your choices, you know your cons the consequences of those choices. You know who you have to do the work and perhaps more importantly who you don't have to do the work. Um, you probably have a sense of what you don't know about your market, your product market fit and your customers and you definitely know how much runway you have and you know what happens if you make the wrong decision. Right? Now, as your company starts to scale, as, as the size of the company, the size of your runway grows, things change. Right? At the enterprise level, uh, things are a little bit different. Right? It's not necessarily experiment or die when you're staring at a giant pile of cash. Right? With the benefit of scale comes a lot of responsibility. You have access to large teams, and you have access to specialized disciplines. Uh, you have seemingly endless runway. And if you make the wrong decisions, you might get fired. but Probably not, right? We'll just kind of get to spin again and do it again. And in many cases, as, as companies tend to grow, they, uh, they have this momentum of success and it feels like we already know everything about our customers and our market and we know what we're doing. And so we don't actually adopt this position of humility or experimentation or learning. And yet, 
in my travels and with the companies that I work with on a regular basis, it's all agile and lean startup language. We want to be a startup. We want to build lean startup in the enterprise, right? We're going to be agile. And everybody's saying the words, but when it comes to actually practicing and working this way, it doesn't always seem to work out well. And the question becomes, why, right? Why is it when we take these uh, concepts of agility, of humility, of continuous learning and continuous transformation, as Eric said this morning, why does lean startups seem to break as we grow uh, and move forward? And so that's the question that I set out to answer. And I did a little bit of scientific research. And by scientific research, I mean I asked Twitter, why does lean startups seem to break at scale? And I got a, a lot of really great responses to these that are listed on here. And these may, if these sound familiar to you, you can kind of nod your head a little bit. But uh, things, things, a collection of stuff, right? Uh, we already know what we need to do. Why waste time learning? Uh, good enough doesn't get respected as viable to ship it. Uh, I like this one, process. Everything has a process and 85 approvals from a mysterious they. <laughs> they approve everything. Uh, upfront business plans and, and uh, ROI analyses. Um, lots of silos, both business unit silos, discipline silos, um, and folks not willing to share their people in the effort of continuous learning. Um, valuing business need over user needs and not actually recognizing that those are ultimately the same things. Right? And, then, and then perhaps one of the ones that, that certainly I run into a lot is uh, established corporations that are too concerned about tarnishing their brand. We can't experiment on our customers. Right? They've come to learn certain things uh, and expect certain things from us. And so how do we move that forward? And so the question is, how do we move past these hurdles? And there's several ways to think about it. But the, the, the conversation I want to have with you today is really focused around uh, three types of, uh, of scope, right? We've got project. How do we incorporate more learning into each initiative that we're working on? As you scale out into multi multiple projects and programs, how do we coordinate multiple discovering delivery efforts focused on the same goal? And then lastly, portfolio. At the company level, how do we coordinate multiple programs and enforce governance that actually meets shareholder expectations? Right? So let's think about that for a second. Let's look at some of the issues that crop up as you try to scale at each one of these levels. Right? At the project level, what we're talking about specifically are things like optimizing for throughput. You've got teams that are maximizing their velocity. If you just get stuff out the door and not really thinking about what stuff to get out the door because they don't really have the autonomy to make any decisions. Right? And so they're just kind of shipping stuff and more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. Now, as you start to scale up into multiple programs, right, coordinating the efforts of multiple teams, managing their knowledge, deduping uh, de uh, de effort, um, and they're starting to kind of run out of people. And as we start to run out of people, we either uh, go to offshoring companies or we distribute our teams into multiple campuses, which starts to break up our continuous learning processes. Now, as you scale up into the portfolio size, we start to see bigger and bigger and bigger challenges, right? Discipline and business unit silos. Um, IT is a service provider. One of the biggest problems that we see with the companies that we work with. Let me say this. If you are a company of scale in the 21st century, or you're a company that seeks to scale in the 21st century, you are first and foremost in the software business. Okay? And if you're 
in the software business, IT, in other words, software, can't be a service provider or a silo over here. It has to be woven throughout your organization. We've got other things that get in the way, annual planning cycles, incentive structures, and things interesting things like Conway's Law, but in reverse. Conway's Law is where your organization, uh, your systems mirror your org structure, so your org chart is mirrored in your systems. Now, companies have built themselves up that way, and now we're trying to change their organizational structures, but their systems don't support it. That's all kinds of issues. And so there's lots of ways to think about getting through these. But instead of thinking about processes, I want you to think about scaling principles. And there are four specific principles that I want you to think about scaling that'll help you take the concepts of humility, experimentation, and continuous improvement into the larger organizations that you work with. The first is this. Customer value and business value are the same thing. If you build products that make your customers successful, respects their time, are a delight to use, and that solve problems, real problems, in meaningful ways, your customers will reward your business with loyalty. Right? They will tell their friends. They will refer other folks. They will promote you to the internet or to their colleagues. And so we have to maximize customer value. Now, here's a tactic for thinking about injecting customer value into everything that you're doing, whether at the project, the program, or the portfolio level. It's this idea of OKRs. If you've heard about OKRs, they're essentially managing to outcomes, and outcomes are measures of customer behavior. Christina Whitkey's book, Radical Focus, does a great job of describing OKRs. But at the core, they've got two components. There's an objective, which is our goal. It's aspirational, and it's qualitative. And then there's the key results, which is the answers the question, how will we know that we've hit our goals? And by measuring our key results in terms of outcomes, in terms of customer behavior, we inject incentives into our teams that are focused around making customers successful. Let me show you a real quick example of that. Uh, one objective could be for your company to become the dominant platform for car dealer inventory management by the end of the year. Right? So that's a qualitative goal. Now, each key result here, 50% of independent dealers are our customers. Six of the top 10 car makers mandate that our platform get used. 40% of auction houses are using our API. These are measures of customer behavior. And by using these as the incentive structures for your teams, you're always putting customer value first. That's our first principle. Second principle, valuing learning over delivery. Right? Learning which products to spend your time on and to what extent they should be invested in is far more valuable than simply shipping product after product after product. Right? Learning first, then building, then measuring. A couple of tactics for valuing learning over delivery is to start building small teams. One of the biggest failures that I've seen in my career over time is wholesale transformational efforts. Right? Top down, we're going to shift everybody all at once. Instead, let's take a small team a cross-functional team, give them one OKR to hit, and let them figure out how to build experimentation and continuous learning into the way that they're doing their work. And when we're doing that, let's help them define sandboxes that give them the freedom and the autonomy to run these experimentation and these validation efforts. Now, sandboxes could be technical, right? You can only operate in this system with this data set. But sandboxes can also be operational. Right? You can talk to customers, but you can't talk to one customer twice in the same year, the same customer. Right? Or you can only talk to 100 customers, or only these folks. Right? But let's set up these guidelines so these pilot teams can figure out how to build a continuous experimentation and learning process into the way that we work at the project level and then scale that up into program and portfolio. 
So we've got customer value because business value. We've got valuing learning over delivery. The third principle I want you to think about is radical transparency. Right? By opening up our communications to uh, uh, measure success as key results, as outcomes, we start to tell people what matters to us, the people that work with us and the people that work for us, what matters in our organization. And the more that we can be open about that, the more that we can be real about what we're learning why we're making certain decisions, and why we're choosing to build or not build other things. And one of my favorite tactics is rituals. Agile gets a lot of grief, um, but there's certain rituals in Agile that work really well, like stand-ups. Right? Stand-ups are a great tool for transparency and accountability. Right? Demo days, a great tool for showing what you've learned, what experiment you've run, and what you've learned from that. Right? The Karate Kid, right? he learned karate through rituals. Right? First he had to paint the fence, then he had to wax the car, and then all of a sudden he's like, oh right, I'm, I'm doing something that I didn't even think I was learning. Right? The rituals help us bake transparency into the way that we work. Another thing that drives transparency is access to customers. If you don't allow your folks to talk to the people they're building products for, they don't know how well their products are meeting market need. Right? The, 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 the most uh, true test to the validity of your product is contact with the customer. Let your folks talk to customers, and at the same time, give them a sense of what those customers are doing quantitatively. If it becomes a hassle to get at the data, then people don't know what's happening, and the way that they're uh, iterating forward is a stab in the dark. All of these elements contribute to the transparency of teams, whether they are actually executing the work or at the portfolio level about how we're incentivizing those teams. So uh, we've got uh, customer value because business value, learning uh, over delivery, and transparency. Our final principle for today is humility in all things. Uh, sorry, that was the wrong one. Wrong slide. Oops. There's a humble dude. Much more humble, right? Just because we've done things the same way doesn't mean that we should continue doing things the same way. We should continually be retrospecting on what we're working on and how it's working and move forward. A couple of thoughts on uh, building a bit more humility into the way that you work. Organizations outside of uh, product design and engineering need to support those teams in a way that matches this continuous improvement cycles. How can we change the way that legal, brand, marketing, risk, compliance work with these teams in a way that supports them on a more regular basis, right? Can we change the way that they work to provide a regular uh, small amount of support on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis? In other words, they're in orbit of these folks. Can we rethink our staffing model, are we carrying around job titles that don't make sense in a 21st century software business? I'm gonna throw a couple out there for you, and, and you can boo if you disagree, right? But project manager, right? Self-organizing, self-directed teams working towards outcomes don't always need project managers, or business analysts, or scrum masters. Something to think about. Also, we should take a humble look at our tech stack. Are we empowering our teams to build a continuous learning cycle in the way that they work? Do they have the technology to do so, right? How long does it take to go from prototype to production? The reality is that we want to make delivery a non-event, right? Shipping should not be a big event. It should be something that we do on a regular basis that helps us build this continuous cycle of learning. And so we want to modernize our tech stack in that sense 
right? So that we move away from this concept of, uh, of trains, right? Release trains and these massive trains to a much more uh, frequent release cycle of like a light rail, as my friend Bill Scott likes to say, and, and really make prototyping and learning, which is, which is actually one of the vehicles of learning, a first-class citizen in our tech stacks so that we can easily move from pr prototyping to production. And so to wrap this up, look, this is a top-down effort. Your teams already want to work this way. So if you're in a position to lead teams or to create a culture or a safe space for some teams to understand how to build continuous learning and experimentation into their process, be that person. Create that space for them. If you're not that person, seek that person out. Right? That person is going to protect you from all the organizational crap that will roll down and stifle these learning efforts. Right? This has been the most successful tactic in my career, is finding the executive who will clear out the space for us to build this culture of continuous learning. And so that's how you start to build these techniques at any scale. And the four principles I want you to take home with you are this. Customer value and business value are the same thing. Valuing learning over delivery. Transparency in all things. And humility in all things. Thank you all very much.